Welcome to Organic Sexuality, where we explore the restoration of pleasure, the reclamation of sexual sovereignty, and the realization of our embodied sexual nature. An invitation to honor the pleasures of your body by embodying the pleasures of your nature. I'm your host, Rahi Chan. I'm a certified somatic sex educator, a sexological body worker, and creator of somatic sexual wholeness. Today, it gives me great pleasure to invite Dr. Liam Snowden, or Captain, as I am used to calling them, who was the director of my somatic sex education training years ago. How does one explore and discover their sexual truth when their embodied experiences are outside of society's narrowly defined norms. Dr. Snowden generously shares their journey, in addition to sharing insights into the various somatic sex education trainings they've been a part of over the years, including the one they've co-founded, the Institute for the Study of Somatic Sex Education. So I'm really, really uh, honored and, and thrilled to have uh, Dr. Liam Snowden to the podcast today. Uh, I know him as Captain. He was the director of my sexological bodyworker training at the Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality, which was uh, pivotal in my journey of becoming a somatic sex educator. Dr. Snowden, for over 10 years, has been co-teaching within one or both of two of the main somatic sex education trainings in North America, currently um, at the Institute for Somatic Sex Education. And then um, the one in North America, the one that I did was the Sexological Bodyworker Training, uh, as well as being faculty on the Institute for Sexual Education and Enlightenment. Captain, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to see you. It's my pleasure to be here, Rahi. It's great. Um, I just want to let you know that um, I think that when we met, um, I was trying on the pronoun he for a while, and I'm back to using they and loving it. Ah, okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for letting me know. You know, because you've been, because your life is really so involved in depth and breadth, and you've seen the evolution of somatic sex education in a variety of different programs and, and perspectives, I would love to know what the influences and experiences were in your journey that guided you towards becoming a somatic sex educator and trainer. Oh, super sexy question. Thank you. Um, I guess as a way of just sort of centering in the land and um, recognizing the territories that I'm on, which is an important piece for me. I just also want to say that I'm um, coming to you from Lekwungen territory, uh, territory of the Songhees and Esquimalt peoples, uh, indigenous folks uh, here, uh, a.k.a. Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Mm-hmm. Colonial name, the colonial name. Yeah, the journey around all of this. I think I didn't figure that I didn't figure this out till later, but definitely the pieces around being a kid growing up with a ton of learning disabilities and having the ways that I learned in the world sort of not being valued. That was kind of, that was at a time where there wasn't a lot of um, understanding or knowing about learning disabilities. Um, And so I had this little spark in myself of knowing that I was smart, but not in the ways that were valued in the system at the time. And so I would just like go around and engage with the world, you know, through my body and through my senses. 
and not as much through my head and in sort of a really communal way. Like I always cared about what was going on with people and how people were relating to each other and what happened when groups of people got together. And so I think that, you know, that manifested in jobs like working um, you know, on the streets in harm reduction and working in queer health. And then I was at a point in my life where I was um, coming out as transgender. I had come out as queer earlier on and been privileged to be exposed to all the things that one is, was exposed to in the 90s when, you know, sex and queerness were so connected. You know, I got exposed to kink community and polyamory and all the the ways that queer folks had figured out how to be in relationship with each other outside of normative normative practices of relationship. And so I was like, what do I want to do now? And it was like spirituality, sexuality. Um, and so I sort of explored that. Um, I'm a witch and I practice uh, in the reclaiming tradition of witchcraft. But I was like, the sex was calling me more. So I did some exploration around what could what could I do that would keep my attention for a whole bunch more years? Um, and I found uh, the Institute in, in San Francisco that's no longer there um, that we, that we both went to and uh, yes. somehow they accepted me to go to school. So I went down to sex school in San Francisco and learned a lot more about myself. Mm-hmm. And at the end of t- doing my doctorate down there, people had been telling me all the way along that um, there's this course that I would really, really like called sexological bodywork. And it was a separate thing. So you had to do it separately. And uh, so I gave it to myself as a present um, for being done my doctorate. And then the lights went off. Boom. Wow. Not just heads and sex. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's really fascinating from what I'm hearing, Captain, is the learning of disabilities. I mean, it sounds like it was a blessing in that it gave you access to to your sensual and sensorial intuition and wisdom. Rather than what happens a lot, I think, in our current educational structure where we get cut off from our bodies because there's so much focus in the, in the, in the mind. Absolutely, and then, yeah. And then here you were very, like, sensorially intuitive, intuitive to your sense, to your sense, feeling sense. And then uh, moving into uh, queer communities in the 90s, it sounds like, where you where the culture was very much about exploring that sensorial intelligence and pleasure. And so it kind of like I mean, it it set you up perfectly to be a, a a trainer and educator in somatic sex education because you were already so attuned to your body senses. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really great way of looking at it. And, and and what I hear in that is a thing that I reflect on sometimes is like the wounds, you know, the wounds being the gift some of the time, mm. like not always, but yeah. And I just had, you know, a tremendous amount of community support around being who I am because, you know, once you question one pillar, like sexual orientation, and then the other pillars of like, how am I going to do relationship? Um, and then the other pillars of like, how am I going to be in my body around gender? Like the, the Greco Roman Colosseum just kind of falls down because mm-hmm. <laughs> all the structures that we're holding it up. And then we get to make up, we get to make up our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because I think we came of age around the same time 
uh, you know, like I, my high school class was 85 and the AIDS scare was kind of coming out. So, you know, like it, people were afraid, you know, around yeah. sexuality then. But like back then, were there support systems for you to explore your identity? Or, I mean, because if, if I think back to, to my high school, you know, 20s, you know, there was definitely gay and lesbian resources. I think the resources and awareness or education or support around queer identity was even lacking then, much less trans. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wasn't exposed to anything until my 20s. Um, and I, you know, and I wasn't living in a particularly conservative place or with particularly conservative parents, but it just, it wasn't, it wasn't available, mm-hmm. nor did, nor did I have the language, which I think is the other thing to describe myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so how did, like, given the lack of kind of support systems and the awareness and the culture that was not there at the time, how did you, um, like your own exploration and understanding of your own identity. How did that evolve? Because it sounds like you explored your queer identity and that evolved into understanding and accepting your, your, your trans nature. Yeah. Well, the first gaggle of people that I found that some of me fit with was fabulous, amazingly political, um, and diverse, uh, feminists some of who were, who were lesbians and dykes. Um, and so I, ju- I got an education that I will be lifelong grateful in around feminism, patriarchy, and power, and oppression, and privilege, and of course, that I'm always learning tons more about. But yeah, that foundation really, um, I found a way of welcoming, being, I found community there. But the, and the problem with that was that my politics felt um, fit really nicely there. And um, I was finding like liberation for lots of pieces of myself, but I wasn't particularly um, interested in having sex with women. So um, mm-hmm. parts, of, parts of me fit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you've always been communal. So the politics fit there with that community. And then how did your, I mean, it's a very personal question, but, but how did your, um, how did your sexual needs get met? And, and through, through doing so, how did your sexual identity uh, evolve and, and blossom? Hmm. That's a sweet question. Um, lots of trial and error, you know, and lots of um, gracious lovers. Uh, once I got more comfortable with my own body and, and pleasure pleasure with myself, things got a lot more possible with other people. I think that there was uh, a lot of things were happening at the same time. Um, I was exploring a lot more kinky related things. I was traveling around more in radical fairy community. So sort of, you know, back to the land, uh, queer men's and other beings uh, movement. and finding more communal spaces to be in uh, around sexuality, and then just uh, living more as on the gender spectrum in a place that felt more comfortable for me and being seen in the world a little bit more in the way that I wanted to be seen. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it sounds like um, when you say getting more comfortable in your own body and your own like exploring and I mean, it's such a like foundational practice for for our somatic sex education is the orgasmic yoga to really be to take ownership really of the of our own pleasure um, and get so familiar with the erotic terrain of our own bodies. Um, and it sounds like that combined with being in community with other like folks that that were not identified with kind of the boxes that were being presented by society. Kind of the, uh, I mean, I think our sexuality is really kind of infinite and undefined, but you kind of found your tribe in that, it sounds like. Yeah, and I think that I've been in and out of lots of different gaggles of people and having, you know, lived up and down the West Coast of these two countries, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of different communities that I've been a part of and, but definitely like queer, the words queer, the words kinky, the words trans, the word, uh, gender queer, which is my favorite. Um, the words leather, like those are all boxes that fit to some degree and also help me find my people in a community, whether it's online or in person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So I want to I want to ask you, Captain, because I know you're also uh, an anti-violence worker. I wanted to ask you about the role oppression plays in sexual embodiment and expression. And I feel like the I feel like it's not I don't think it's really discussed very much in sexuality or sacred sexuality circles. It's kind of like I think people like once it's the topic is is broached or introduced, people kind of can see how it you know the pivotal role oppression plays in our sexual expression. But I'd love to hear from you because, yeah, what what role does oppression play in our sexual embodiment and, and expression, and does its very omission from the conversation affect our collective sexuality? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i I love this question um and of course i i'm learning tons about this stuff all the time and making mistakes and trying to get up again and try again but um yeah i think what's really important especially in spiritual communities there seems like there's a lot of still a lot of sort of spiritual bypass of these Mm -hmm. of the questions of oppression and power and privilege um and and sexual violence and gender-based violence um, where it's, you know, there's still this like, oh, we're all just one. Like, let's not get mixed up in that kind of stuff because we're all just one. And really, you know, no. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think, and, and really, like, my liberation is tied up with your liberation, is tied up with um, Black Lives Matter liberation, is, is tied up with um, the embodiment of each of us being able to be ourselves, but in a culture that's also impacted like deeply impacted by all of the the systems that have been so oppressive to so many of us and i think that it has a huge impact on us as as individuals which i think is what's being talked about a lot more lately which is fantastic um but also it impacts us being able to connect with each other across difference right if we've got all these ways that maybe we've been taught overtly or not overtly to engage with each other um, who are different or in this box or that box, um, our bodies act differently around each other's bodies. Um, Uh Uh And, um, 
and not and not necessarily consciously. So working to unpack the I'm interested in in working and playing to unpack how our bodies engage with each other body each other's bodies as a way to unlearn and learn ways of being sort of in love with each other in a in a better way. And and you know there's lots tons of great work being done. Uh, Resma Menakim and and a whole bunch of other folks um, around cult- cultural ner- the cultural nervous system and what oppression and privilege and power and white supremacy has done to the cultural nervous system. You know, and if we can if we can look at that in a broader way too, there's lots of there's lots of door- doors into change there, and um, mm-hmm. it's, that's really damn exciting. Yeah. 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 I mean, what I'm hearing is that, you know, like in the way that our nervous systems uh, are like tuning forks, like if there's stuckness in one, there's going to be it's going to resonate throughout all the tuning forks. And yet it, it, it feels like I mean, the, the whole nature of pleasure and um, sensuality requires a safe and present nervous system. And if there's any obstruction to that and, you know, um, influences like oppression is going to hamper and impede that not only for one person, but for the whole species. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not sure if like I as a white person, I'm I'm the right person to talk to uh, talk about this stuff at the moment. But I um, there's a fabulous um, person named Onika Henry, who is from Trinidad and Tobago. And I love to listen to her about this stuff. Um, and uh, there's a piece on on YouTube that she's done that's uh, about reclaiming sexual identity through carnival. She's from Trinidad and Tobago, and there's a lot of in there about reclaiming and fully embodying the tools that come with all of our sort of ancestral wisdom in when we can get ourselves in situations of collective embodiment and collective joy, which I think all of our cultures had some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at some time, mm-hmm. whether it was more recently or way long, way long ago. So I'm just, I'm super excited in hearing, hearing from people who are talking about collective joy and collective liberation through the body these days. Mm-hmm. It's one mm-hmm. of the reasons why, you know, when you talk, you talk to, you asked me about, um, the, you mentioned the different programs, you know, I think that you, and you know, we're around the same age. So it's, there's, there was sort of a period, it seems to me, at least on the west coast of our countries, these countries here, where like the way into sexuality and sexual healing was catharsis. Like you had to go big, go big, go big, go big, have the huge orgasm, have the big uh, multiple person experience, like override or or just super activate your nervous system, right? Mm -hmm, And that's, mm -hmm. you know, and then we went, oh yeah, maybe that works for a few people. (laughs) Yeah, Not everybody and who, who, Who's being harmed in this process? So I think like the 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 pieces um, when I first studied sexological bodywork, it um, it was in that time, and so it came. And early on when I was teaching it, I think I came a lot more from that that um, like let's just get to the sex thing. Like we know it's full of shame and stuff, but let's like ignore the shamey stuff a little bit and just like try it. Um, and and so I think like now what we've you know collectively learned and. Um, what we wanted to create in our in in our school um, is like a trauma trauma informed practice, anti oppressive practice, um, 
you know, creating these safety rails into all these fabulous modalities, which are under somatic sex education of like masturbation coaching, mm-hmm. uh, genital mapping, pleasure mapping, orgasmic yoga, which we now talk about as mindful erotic practice because it neither needs to be orgasmic or yoga. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like these practices are great, but not everybody can just jump right into them. So we wanted a lot more pre ways of being with people, which I'm sure you've discovered in your private practice. It's like, no, people don't want to, can't all just get right on the table, nor do we want them to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, um, that's, that's great that the, the school in Canada, the Institute for Somatic Sex Education, it, it sounds like it really reflected the discoveries and awarenesses about the nervous system and about, it's very, very trauma informed. And comes from a not only trauma informed, but also it's non-binary. It's more inclusive, more neurophysiology uh, based. And I was going to ask you, like the the differences between the schools that you're that you've been a part of. Um, so it sounds like the school that you have co-created with your co-founders have taken in the evolution of somatic sex education in understanding the role a downregulated nervous system plays in, in pleasure and, and sexual freedom. Yeah, I think we've really kept some of the things that we really love about sexological bodywork, which is, and some of the curriculum, which is like the hands-on pieces, the focus on pleasure the noticing about what you know learning about what our core erotic themes are and therefore what you know sort of charges up our sexuality and making being able to make choice and have voice around that um but yeah the can like the consent pieces lots more consent pieces you know um big shout out to betty martin around bringing those pieces into into work around sexuality and yeah really wanting to slow to walk our talk about slowing down too also you know you remember the program was like go 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 go, and now you're done but now there's like discrete courses you can take breaks between it's not a cohort Mm. model it's Mm -hmm. like oh life happened so i'll take i won't take this course for another six months or Mm. yeah and then just really developing uh, the other thing that's really important to us is um developing a community of practice and as one of those things that really keeps us in ethical practice and having people that know what our hot buttons are so that when we approach them with clients or groups that uh, we have people we can be accountable to. Mm-hmm. So Corrine, mm-hmm. Diachuk and, and Kath and Jesse and I, yeah, we just kind of sat down and created what we wanted to create and looked at things and said, do you like this part? Do you want to do this part? Oh, nobody wants to. It's not joyful or pleasurable. Well, let's not do it. Nice. <laughs> so we kind of came at it to our own pleasure. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, when I looked at, I, when I looked through the curriculum, it seems like it, it's all the best stuff from from our training, and yet there's a respect for the 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 pace that that the nervous system um, needs to be able to integrate and and digest and feel safe, really, um, in moving in moving through all of these processes. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you're also um, faculty on the uh, at the Institute for the Sexual Education and Enlightenment. And yeah. how does how how is that different than than the Canadian program? So um, Raz Deshavo and I went to um, uh, the institute in San Francisco together for our doctorates, and and we both came out of there um, being like, ooh, 
we could create schools or we want to teach things. We came from really similar backgrounds around working with people around drugs and alcohol and harm reduction and, and counseling and joy and spirituality. And so, yeah, so Roz was, was the first one to go, I'm starting a school. And so I just kind of came along with, was delighted to come along with her on that journey and, and teach with her diff, uh, a wide variety of things. You know, I send a lot of, I send students who, her school is so holistic. It, there's um, a lot of, so like body work components. Um, and I send people who don't have um, a sex education or a sex background there to like learn more about sex. Ah, and, okay. And, and being a sex educator and just, or just, and just like information. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the, the Institute um, of Somatic Sex Education is, is really more geared towards professionals. Would, would, is that what you would, is that how you'd kind of distinguish the two? Um, no, because I think that like Roz has a therapist uh, route you can go and a sex educator route you can take in her program. Um, I think we're both really invested in people looking at their own stuff too. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, if, in, in our program, the first two courses are, are about looking at our own relationship to power and privilege and trauma and pleasure and centering, you know, our own pleasure in the, in the whole process of it all. Often we're like, people are like, well, what about blah, 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 blah. And we're like, wait for the, wait for the next course. Is this part's about you? Yeah. So I think we have really similar philosophies and, um, Roz's training, most people that Roz trains don't do hands-on stuff. And when, uh, and she sends people our way if they want to do hands-on stuff. Oh, okay. So that's a huge distinction then, the hands-on and the non-hands-on. Got it. Um, Captain, I want to ask you uh, what you've enjoyed the most about teaching in each program. And I'm sure every year it's different because the cohorts are different and the flavor of each class is different. But like what, what brings you the most pleasure and joy? Because you've taught so many different, um, you, you know, you've been a part of so many different trainings. Well, I would say like the answer to that question is like you, the students. Um, mm. Things that I get so much delight in are, you know, talking to people, like so many of the students are, are those people that have always been the people that their friends come to talk to about sex. Um, I don't know how many times I've heard that. Well, you know, I don't, you know, I, I'm not a therapist or anything, but I'm like, I've been talking about sex my whole life because people have been coming to me to talk about it. Um, I enjoy people that have been called to more traditional forms of sex work, um, coming into this practice and um, learning tons from them. I, I learned so much from the students we have because people are just coming from all kinds of different places. I love the, some of my favorite moments are, are when people really understand in their body that they don't have to do something. Like mm-hmm. we have this thing in our program about don't gotta, like we'll invite people to do things and then it'd be like, don't gotta. And then when, when that moment when people actually trust that there'll be no impact or punishment of not doing a thing. And this, like the shift that happens in people's body when, when they can use their no and it's respected and seen. I just love that moment over. I see you. I see you nodding like over and over again. That moment is so great. And then just finding uh, there's enough people in the field now. And I want to talk to you about this, about a current student, um, maybe after the call. Um, hmm. There's more people in the field now to be like 
hooking people up and saying, this person's been doing this for a while. You have a similar way that you want to do the work. Uh, let's like connecting and networking people is one of my favorite things too. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you've actually seen the community evolve and grow in the years that you've been teaching. So now it must be really exciting to see, you know, like a whole network of kind of subsets of specialties and kind of different partnerships forming, you know, taking the work in all kinds of directions. But you know what you said earlier, Captain, about like seeing the don't gotta kind of register and then the body experiencing the effect of its no, it's so huge. It, it's, I mean, it's like the, the body kind of wakes up to new software in the system. It is just over and over again, it just blows my mind. And, and really it is for so many people, it's just never been safe to say no. And so being able to help, like, of course, it being different in each class, but help create containers that are safe enough for people to try on their no's mm -hmm. and their yeses, you know? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that, those, those moments just blow my mind. And just, yeah, it's such a, also such a young profession that, you know, you know, of course there's been people in all different cultures doing sacred sexual healing and, and more traditional forms of sex work and all kinds of things. But in this particular incarnation, it's so young that we're all making it up together which is another piece mm -hmm. that I just love about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's exciting. It's really, really exciting. And to see the impact of it, you know, um, I mean, it must be thrilling for you to see. It's kind of like birds fly out of the nest and then they become eagles and, you know, and, and uh, create their own kind of flavor and, and expression of what's possible sexually. Oh, yeah. And I guess the I mean, thing I, why I just keep being involved over, over and over again is, and I feel like I like to check in with myself about that, you know, that being a choice. Is it still joyful for me? And the answer keeps being yes. And, the, you know, my, my love of the communal, it's a way of me keeping in the practice of checking in around myself around pleasure or how has, how has shame creeped back in, you know, from culture to me and, and uh, yeah. And I get to facilitate this for the last, years i've been doing um a mindful erotic practice called convive um to two mornings a week so uh gaggles of students and past students um and we come and it's kind of like a any other practice we show up online at seven o'clock in the morning um and i do a little grounding thing get us into our pelvises and then we share with each other what our um intention for our communal erotic practice might be that day mm. and then we uh I have a playlist that goes on for 40 minutes and we turn our cameras off and our sound off and we go off and do our practices and then come back and talk about how it went and then get on with our days. So I get wow. to like be engaged, you know, in those ways of like everyday practice of eroticism and, and also just be in the everything that Eros is, you, mm -hmm. know, you, you know, as you well know, it all just gets squished down into sections, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. it's just like being able to open it up and, and dance with everything that's possible with erotics to just create and mm -hmm. bring fi all the fire to the different things we're doing in our lives. Well, yeah, because it is fire. It's that life force. It is, It is. you know, I mean, it is, I think, amongst the most powerful, if not the most powerful, creative, intuitive uh, pleasure force that, that we are so privileged to embody. 
Um, I feel like I feel like what you're doing now in um, holding that safe space, you know, whether it's for Convive or for the different trainings, is allowing for and inviting the sexual life force to express itself in all of the ways that it that it's designed to, that it organically wants to, which seemed to be the thing that was missing when you were, you know, when you were coming of age, because there were just kind of these few boxes. Oh, which I is love so that. <laughs> yeah, which is so cool, which is so cool, because, you know, it's kind of like you're creating what it is that was missing when you were coming into your sexual being, which is uh, poetic and profound, which is really, really beautiful. Um, Captain, I want to ask, um, so, you know, because you've been involved with so many trainings, what what are some of the quality, I mean, for listeners out there who are interested and curious about the Institute for Somatic Sex Education or um, the Institute for uh, um, Sexual Education and Enlightenment, you know, really and kind of interested in the field, what are some of the qualities you feel like best suits people for the field? And what advice would you give them if they're curious about pursuing it? Yeah, I mean, I think some of the qualities is like a comfort um, with talking about sex and sexuality um, in in some of its breadth and depth. Of course, you know, folks get in both of the programs, folks get exposed to tons more stuff. You know, I, I like a good humbleness, <laughs> you know, and an ability to to go into beginner's mind because we've there's you know we've had so many experiences in life, but coming as adult learners coming back into to like the beginning of something can be a bit challenging. So just that piece around um, willingness to not know things and comfort of, of not knowing things together with this like essence of the belief that we're all our own authority with our own bodies and that we're all experts in our own bodies. And maybe we can use some guidance and some support and some tools. Yeah. Having, having, we recommend to folks having their own embodiment practice, whether it's contact improv or dance, yoga, uh, kung fu, you know, all the all the different ways of um, centering in our bodies are super mm. helpful coming into this kind of practice. And then we recommend uh, that people get some sessions, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's online or in person, you know, have have experience of the work um, from some uh, a few different practitioners or attend groups or yeah, just be being exposed, especially with the somatic sex education pieces where um, there's the option to do hands-on work in, in this field. Being being an erotic adventurer and being, um, you know, it's an edgy profession. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so having some comfort with being an edge walker and having some investment in counter-normative practices and being outside of boxes will definitely make the our particular school, people will be more comfortable in our school with that kind of yeah. foundations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I'm hearing you um, share these qualities, I think for someone with all those qualities coming into your school, your training, they would thrive. I mean, especially, I mean, I, I love uh, when you said uh, someone who can come in with a beginner's mind, because I feel like it's it's an invitation to relearn what we we've learned about sex sexuality and and sex education in a you know because kind of the mainstream it, it, it's so there's so many pieces that are missing it's like we need to relearn it through our bodies somatically yeah i mean how many of us learned about pleasure when we learned about sex 
<laughs> not very many. Right. Yeah. And I mean, right. all those things that I just listed are, are things that we, we sort of, we cultivate skill around too. So it's not like you have to have all those things coming in. It's like, there's also modules about that and conversations and teachings. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll have um, all, both, like all the, well, all the, the Institute's um, website, the links on in the show notes. Um, before we close out, Captain, I'm wondering if, if you have a, a favorite somatic practice or exercise that listeners may explore mm. to, yeah, something that would deepen their, their sense of a sexual embodiment. Yeah, I mean, well, I think about sort of the foundation of a, a mindful erotic practice, like take an hour, take half an hour and make sure nobody's going to disturb you. I know how hard that is for people who are parents or were in COVID or taking care of elders, but, you know, kind of finding some way to have some time that's just for you and then bringing the things that you already know give you pleasure to the center of that hour, like Maybe stretching gives you pleasure and makes you in your body. Maybe eating chocolate, maybe certain music. Um, so doing things that, that center pleasure. And then in that same time, maybe adding in some self-touch mm-hmm. and just like following the impulses of the body and just seeing that there's like no right way to do it other than that the way that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's an invitation to move beyond what one is used to or one has become and really follow the pleasure and explore what's possible. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice for all of us and and all of what we're doing to move outside of the box. And I feel like you've been doing that your whole life. (laughs) On and off and failing and flailing at all of it. Captain, thank you so much for being with us today. It's really great to have you on the show. My pleasure. How is today's podcast landing in your body? What sensations are you aware of feeling right now? Or are there emotions present for you to hold space for? and allow yourself to feel, if you want. How does Captain's embodiment suggestion feel to you? Can you imagine engaging in your favorite embodiment practice, whether that be dancing to your favorite music, engaging in yoga, or taking a soothing warm bath, then bringing pleasurable self-touch to your body Imagine for a moment how that might feel to your senses, to your skin, to your sexuality. And how might your body respond? Is there a time this week you might be able to explore this for yourself? Imagine the space you could create and the intimacy with yourself that could be explored, discovered, and received. Can you feel this possibility in your body right now? 
And if there's any part of your body that is inviting contact from you right now, then why wait? And until next time, take good care.